Uh, you ever write something or say something that is not really come out the way that you intended it to say, and it has way a different meaning than what you intended it to say? I mean, sometimes it has the opposite meaning, right? Well, that was brought to my attention this week, and it's been there for a while, but I want to bring it up so you can laugh with me. See, if you get your bulletin and look in the middle section of the bulletin, okay, it talks about the nursery right at the bottom. I'm so glad you guys don't do this. It says, the nursery is available for children through age three, right? And then I say, because I do the bulletins, we ask disruptive children be placed in the service. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys don't read the bulletin. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so thank you, Mickey and Marianne, for noticing it. But you let me go with it for a long time. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it'll be corrected next week. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let me go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then uh, and then we'll um, get into the word. Lord God, we just want to thank you for who you are, and Lord, we want to thank you uh, for this Psalm, Psalm twenty third. Lord, so I pray that uh, as we study, Lord, that we may really appreciate who you are, God. What a wonderful God you are, Lord. Uh, you have been and you continue to be, Lord. What a timeless song uh, this is, Lord, and to strengthen us, to encourage us, uh, to reveal to us who you are, Lord, and, uh, and, and your relationship with us and your care for us. Lord, I pray that you will be honored as I present this, that you will help me with my nerves, Lord, and you will help me with the presentation of your word. I ask you this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Um, let me say something a little bit first about limits. Limits. You know, we all have limited limits. We are limited people, aren't we? You know, we have limits in our wisdom. So our wisdom is limited. Our understanding is limited. Our patience is limited, <laughs> right? Our uh, skills are limited. Even in the gifts that the Lord God has given to each one of us, we are limited. And we, we don't have a, a gift that is so full, right, that's so complete. Uh, you know, we do not have all gifts. We don't even have the fullness of a particular Gift, right? We read in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul says, even if I had all knowledge, even if I had all wisdom, right? Meaning, I don't have it all, right? I don't have it all. And in Ephesians 4, chapter 7, Paul says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we all have a gift from God, right? But the scope of that gift is limited. Right. I don't have full understanding. I don't have full wisdom. I don't have the full stability to get into the scripture and exhaust. So my explanation to you, <laughs> or my, where I'm going to bring it to you this morning in the psalm, is going to be in a way limited. Right? In, others, in other words, I'm not going to be able to exhaust uh, God's word. 
you may approach this psalm and see things completely different. And I kind of ask you that as we read the psalm, as we study the psalm this morning, that you approach it with that in mind too. He said, you know, there is a statement that begins with, and then it uses some uh, figures of speech, uh, some imagery, uh, the author, David, that kind of ought to say something to us in a personal way. How does this apply uh, to me in a sense? And so it's very rich in that sense, right? Um, but, you know, uh, because we have limits, right, we are, we are encouraged to exhort one another, right? And you know what's interesting when it comes to limits? I'm not only limited individually, we are also limited as a congregation. In a sense that if you put all our wisdom together, if we put all our knowledge together, if we pull all our understanding together, if we pull all of our insight in the Word together, we'll still never be able to comprehend the fullness of God. We will never have all wisdom, right? Uh, so we are a bunch of limited people. We are people who have limits in every aspect of our life, and we need one another. Right? It's a good thing that we are a body because my arm has limits. Can't get too far, so it has to use the feet. You know, the feet have limits. Um, they do a tough time scratching the head. Well, the arm does a good job at that. <laughs> right? And so we are limited individually, we are limited corporately, but we have a God that is unlimited. Now, we have a God that is all-sufficient. And Psalm 23 speaks to that. We are a limited people with an unlimited God, with an all-sufficient God. So as we study this psalm, keep that in mind. As I share this with you, at the same time, you bring your own experience with the Lord. Bring your own how the Lord has ministered to you in your limited abilities and his unlimited glory and his unlimited fullness. Okay? So let's keep that in mind as we start this song. It's a God without limit, right? It's the all-sufficient shepherd. Um, one of the scriptures that I have read is, is uh, in, Isaiah, in Job 21, 22 says, Can anyone teach God knowledge? No one can, right? We can put all our knowledge together and it won't feel a bucket full in heaven. Well, look at, look at all wisdom. It doesn't happen that way. Then in Isaiah 40 says this, With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him? Who taught him in the path of justice? Uh, who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And the answer is, no one has, no one ever will. For we are a limited people, and he is an all-sufficient, unlimited God. So with that in mind, we're going to get into Psalm 23. It was read for us a little bit, and we'll read some of the, the passages as we go along. But, you know, Psalm 23, when people normally think of Psalm 23, at least 
what has come to mind often what I see on TV sometimes, it seems that Psalm 23 has become the sound of the funerals. Right? That's when more often <laughs> we hear Psalm 23, right? In particular, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? You know, that's such a mischaracterization of Psalm 23. Because this is not a psalm about the one that died. But this is a psalm about the one who is living. And who is living in the right relationship with an all-sufficient shepherd. Okay. Under the care of an all-sufficient shepherd. As a group of limited people who have an unlimited God. That he can do everything far above and beyond what? All we can ask and even think. God's vastness goes, goes even beyond our imagination. Individually or put together. This is the God that we have. So it's a beautiful Psalm and is filled with pastoral images. The key verse in Psalm 23 is verse number one. It has six verses. Verse number one is the key verse. Verses two through six, what they do, they expand the thoughts of verse chapter of verse one. So we are going to spend a little bit of time on verse one and not so much time on the rest of the verses. Because I'm limited. <laughs> I have limits. <laughs> One is the clock. And <laughs> so let's go ahead and get started uh, with verse 1. And in verse 1 it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, David starts this psalm with a, with a word of encouragement. With a phrase of sufficiency. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And uh, so he begins with a statement of sufficiency. I shall not want, I shall not lack anything. I will not be without. Speaking about sufficiency. Certainly, uh, and he's relying on the certainty here of, and the confidence based on having a personal relationship with the Lord. And as you know, uh, the Lord, Lord, here is indeed the Lord Yahweh, which means the, the existing one. This is not a title. Yahweh is not a title. Yahweh is God's personal name, right? You call me Vince, that's my personal name. Matthew or whoever here, you know, that's our personal name. This is God's personal name, who he is, okay? This is the God the name, I'm sorry, that God told Moses. He said, when you go into Egypt to free the Israelites from Egypt, and they ask you, they ask you, who, who sent you? You ought to say, Yahweh, I am who I am, sends me. So this is God's own personal name. Uh, the self-existing one is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, and Yahweh is the God of David. And Yahweh is our God, right? The self-existing one. You know, and he proved his existence and his power 
both to Israel and to Egypt through the same event, right? Moses went to Egypt, and through the signs and wonders that were worked through Moses, Yahweh showed to the Israelites that he is the one true God. Now keep in mind that the Israelites were idolaters. They had many deities. And God, through Moses, challenged every one of those deities by bringing on the Egyptians ten plagues. Each one of those plagues had a, had a deity, an idol, a false god, that supposedly had power over that activity. And God showed, no, you don't have any power. I am the one who has the power, for he is the self-existing one. Uh, he is the Lord that created the heavens and the earth. He is the Lord, he is the Yahweh, who the heavens shout about. Think about that. Heavens, it says that the stars declare his glory, right? The firmament declares his glory. Speaks loud about who this God is. What a mighty God. What a sufficient God. Who he is. You know, I looked a little bit, you know, he says he's my shepherd, but who he is. Uh, he is El Shaddai, right? God Almighty. He, and he showed that when he reiterated his covenant to Abraham. He is Yahweh Rafi, the God who heals. When he heals the bitter waters at Marah. He is Yahweh Nithi, God the banner, the protector. When Joshua defeated the Amalekites, you know, they were holding God's, Moses' arms up, right? God was protecting the nation, right? He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides when he provided the land for Abraham. That's so that he wouldn't have to sacrifice his son. You know, he's Jehovah Makadesh, is the God who sanctifies. These are some of the names that is used about this Lord in the scripture to show who he really is, right? The, the fullness of this God. Okay, um, He's the God for every situation, for every need, for every difficulty, for every heartache. He's the God that David calls my shepherd. Okay. Uh, the all-powerful God. Again, the Lord, the word Lord, right? uh, his proper name, uh, also we learn that he is a triune being. He's a, a complex being. Not a complicated being, but a complex being, right? I mean, that is more than one. Right? It's a triune God. And you know, one of the, the most popular prayer for the Jewish people is the Shema, or Shema, which is found in Exodus chapter 6, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm sorry. And uh, uh, Shema means here. And we see that the, the, the first verse there begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There's some interesting things happening here, uh, what is used. First it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. We already discussed the word Lord, that means Yahweh. The Lord God here is, is Elohim, which is an interesting word because it's singular, it's plural intensive, but it has a singular meaning. It's a plural intensive, but it's a singular meaning, right? So it means one, but indicates a plurality. It's kind of the opposite. Of, I think of a, when I think of what we call uh, what we call this collective nouns in English. 
a you know, if you're an English teacher or good at English, you know what a collective noun is. If I say the word team, T-E-A-M, right? So is that singular or plural? Well, the word is singular, right? But it implies many, <laughs> right? So that's the same idea. That's the same idea. So this is God, right? It, it exists in a complex kind of being. Not complicated, but complex, right? And we see that complexity is stated in several parts in the Old Testament. But the one that we see the clearest is in the New Testament. When the Lord tells the disciples in Matthew, at the end of chapter Matthew, say, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So you have one name, and what is that name? Well, that name is Yahweh, right? And so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as a unity, they share that one name. So we see the complexity, and we see the oneness of this God. You know, this is not just any God, <laughs> any idol that David is trusting in. This is the God who created the universe, who exists in a, in, in a complex form of beings that it really surpasses our understanding. We cannot really grasp him. Right? So that's what we have. The Lord, Yahweh, the self-existence. And then he says something interesting. We follow there in verse uh, 1. He calls, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, when I think about the word my, when you think about that phrase, my shepherd, my, what scripture comes to mind? I know what comes to mind, right? What comes to mind is the gospel of John. When Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. And say, ah, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead unless I do certain things. And after the Lord Jesus Christ did, shows up and says, come here, Thomas. And Thomas said, oh, my. Uh, well, he didn't say, oh, my. He said, oh, my Lord and my God. Right? And that, you know, Thomas had known the Lord Jesus for three years. Had walked, he had walked with him for three years. But at that time, when he saw the resurrected Christ and saw the scars, he said, this is not just a man. This is not just a prophet. This is God. Came to a full knowledge of this God. My Lord and my God. So it speaks of a personal relationship. So what we see is that David is having a personal relationship with the God of the universe. So it's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough for us to be well-versed in the Bible and quote many verses unless we have a personal relationship with Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be mine. It has to be mine. Imagine that, having a personal relationship with the God who created the universe. <laughs> uh, something, right? Something. And David says, goes on to say, my Shepherd, my shepherd. You know, David knew a little about being a shepherd. When God rejected Saul as king of Israel and wanted a man after his own heart, God sent Samuel to Jesse's house. And Jesse said, hey, Jesse, uh, you know, out of your house is going to come the next king of Israel. So Jesse said, let me bring my boys in. Number one, no, not him. 
Not two, not he. So he went through several of them, right? No, 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 no. So I imagine Samuel here is a little bit frustrated, and he says, uh, Jesse, don't you have anybody else in your household? <laughs> and Jesse says, oh yeah, there is one, the youngest one. He's out there with the sheep. That's the one that the Lord wanted. That's the one that the Lord wanted. The one that Jesse didn't think anything about. Jesse said, surely not him. God said, that's the one I want. Because God is not looking for a man who is sufficient. God is looking for a man through whom he may sufficient. He shows his sufficiency. And that's what the Lord does through David. He knew what it meant. David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He meant he needed to lead, to care, to protect, to rescue the sheep. He knew that a shepherd was responsible for the well-being of the sheep. And that as a shepherd, David understood that he was in charge of the sheep. That he was responsible and for their well-being. He understood that point. And when David calls the Lord my shepherd, what he's saying is, you are in charge. You are the shepherd. I am the sheep. You are in charge. The equivalent of saying my shepherd would be something like we would say, my Lord and my God. But you are in charge. Actually, you know, the, the word that sometimes we use is, uh, is the, the idea of lordship, right? David recognized Jesus as his Lord. He said, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I am under the authority of God. Now, of course, we are not the perfect sheep, right? Uh, sheep are known, and we'll talk a little bit about they like to go astray. And, and so do we, right? That's why we need a shepherd to bring us back uh, to the fold. Think about that. So David had a relationship with Yahweh in terms that David recognized the, the lordship of Yahweh over him. David is an example of a true believer, one who recognized Christ's lordship. Now, David was not always upright. He stumbled and fell many ways, right? You know, the, we say, well, you know, the Lord says, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. But what was his life like? Well, in many cases, David's life was a mess, right? Um, and yet, that was not the characteristic of his life. The characteristic was that he had a personal relationship with God. And when he messed up, he knew what to do. He knew where to go. Um, the New Testament identifies that shepherd. The New Testament identifies the shepherd of David as the Lord Jesus Christ. Correct. In John uh, chapter 10, one of the major scriptures. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Good Shepherd. In Hebrews chapter 13, he's called the Great Shepherd. In 1 Peter 2.25, he is called the Shepherd and Guardian of our souls. How do you like that? He's watching over our souls, over our well-being, over our life. Okay? And in 1 Peter 5.2, he's called the, the Chief Shepherd. He is a shepherd in charge. That is the shepherd that David is trusting in. That is the shepherd that the Lord 
Jesus Christ is. And according to John 10, 27, there are two key characteristics of Jesusship. Two key characteristics of followers of Jesus. And in John 10, 27, uh, says, uh, this, uh, what, let me, well, I thought I had it here. <laughs> but they are obedience and that they listen. So they listen to me, they hear my voice, and they follow me. So the two characteristics are that they hear him and they follow him. Right? Yeah, we hear his voice. We got his word now, right? And we follow him. We respond in obedience to his word. And then he says, because of who he is, because of the great God of the universe that this Lord is, David says, I shall not want. I'm not going to lack anything. Because my shepherd is the God who created the universe. I have limits, but he doesn't. In whatever situation I find myself in life, he is sufficient. Right? That's encouraging to me. Right? As, we, as we find ourselves in different situations in our life, and we say, man, what am I going to do? I'm lost. I don't know. I need help. I need encouragement. I need this. I need that. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I, this was so good for me to remind myself that no matter what I go through, you know, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the guardian of my soul is watching over me. Uh, you know, I'm getting all spun up. I'm getting all nervous. I'm getting all concerned about things. Relax. Relax. The great shepherd, he is sufficient. Okay? Um, say, I shall not want. I will not lack anything. You know, sheep are defenseless, needed animals. You ever seen a sheep attacking anybody? I, I haven't. There may be one that gets upset, you know. I, I think that the sheep are there just for food. I mean, for everybody else, you know, lions, mountain lions, coyote, eagles, whatever it is, you know, what am I going to have for dinner? Well, look, it's a sheep, right? <laughs> so they, they don't do much, right? They're very defenseless. They, they, go, uh, they go astray, okay? But as long as they have a, a, a watchful shepherd, they, they're fully cared for, right? They cannot take care of themselves, right? So as long as, long as they have a, a, a watchful Shepherd, they are saved. David knew that, right? David had been on the run for a long time. Once Saul found out that David had been anointed uh, king, uh, what did Saul do? Saul said, well, you know, uh, the next king is going to be, it's not going to be my son Jonathan, and I'm okay with that. No, that was not Saul's response. Oh, my son Jonathan is not going to be the next king. The next king is going to be David. Hmm, kill him. Right? That was his answer. So he pursued David for a long time. David had it in caves, experiences stress, hunger, whatever it was. And yet, you know, the Lord was taking care of him. The Lord was watching over him. To want means to lack something, but at the Lord is shepherd, he's not. In Psalm 34, David wrote, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want for those who fear him. There is no want. Fully satisfied. 
He meets the needs, right? The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Wow. This is a man who's been on the run, who's been watching for his life. What times he couldn't sleep. Okay, hiding in caves. And yet he says, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack a good thing, any good thing. You know, Jesus in the gospel reveals that he is the good shepherd. He became man. And he's the good shepherd. And he's called indeed the good shepherd. The, the gospel also shows us that Jesus proved to be Yahweh. Remember, earlier on, I mentioned some of those titles by God, Jehovah Jireh, and that kind of stuff. You know, Jehovah Jireh, right? Uh, the God who provides. Well, when we think about the New Testament in, in that sense, well, what, what did Jesus provide? Well, a lot of times we f- think about it in the physical sense. We think about, let's say, the feeding of the 5,000. Right? But what if we think about in the same context that uh, Abraham experienced Jehovah Jireh? That Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, and God said, don't do it. There is a lamb right there. You know, I think of John chapter 1, when Jesus is introduced, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. God provided a substitute for us. God provides, right? Uh, Jehovah wrote the God who heals. Right? We see some of the miracles of Jesus involve healing. Right? But not only physical healing, we can talk about the restoration of our relationship with God. Uh, we see uh, Jehovah Nisi, God the banner. And the Lord Jesus saying, of those who the Father gives me, I will lose how many? None. He's a banner. He's a shield. Uh, the last one, Jehovah, the, the sanctifier, right? Uh, I remember, oh, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 after Paul says, you know, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know, don't be deceived. And then he goes on through a list of people. And then uh, in verse 11, he says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Uh, the same things that are said of Yahweh in the Old Testament are the things that are said of Yahweh, Yahweh in the New Testament. It's now that in the New Testament, Yahweh, we have a face. And it looks like Jesus. Okay. The same God, the same powerful God, the same sufficiency. So David can, uh, David can say with confidence, I shall not want. And in Peter, he says that through his divine power, he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So that we can live a life that is pleasing to him. Not on my own doing, because I have limits. But God has no limits. And he gives us all that we need. We, we always think that we don't have enough, right? We are people who only want more. How much do you need? A little more. You know, uh, I, I enjoy riding bicycles. And, you know, I have, 
I don't know how many bicycles now. But, you know, I go to Craigslist and I look for more bicycles. Right? Uh, I bet you that if you have a nice truck, you look at nice trucks. Which one is nicer? <laughs> we seem never to be really fully satisfied, right? Uh, but God is the provider for us that he satisfies our wants, right? In ancient Israel, uh, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest work. Isn't that interesting? A shepherd's work was considered the lowest form of work. Who is at the bottom of the work chain? <laughs> Who is at the bottom? The shepherd. You know, that was the, that's why Jesse, when Samuel came to him, Jesse said, oh, yeah, here are my boys. Why don't you have another? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's the one with the sheep. You don't want him, do you? Right? So the shepherd was considered the lowest of the work. A shepherd's duty was 24-7. He lived with the sheep in complete devotion to them, in fair weather and in bad weather. He would protect, nurture, and guide the sheep. He assumed complete responsibility for the well-being of the flock, even risking his own life for their protection. And this is what Yahweh chose to be to his people. This is what the God who created the universe chose to be for us. A 24-7-365 protector. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want provision for the needy. Provision for the ones who have limits by a God who has no limits. Now as we get to the next few verses, verses five, uh, 2 through 6, basically what they do, they take that idea, they take that idea of I shall not want, and then he explains the areas, areas in life that God is sufficient to show that this shepherd is all sufficient. God, David is going to say, look how he's sufficient. Now, when we study the life of David, sometimes we, we say, man, this guy had it rough. Uh, you know, he was on the run for a number of years after he became king. He had problems with his children. It was not an easy life that David said, well, he, he's a king. Kings have been made. Well, not if you're David. <laughs> He has some difficulties, but his perspective was a little bit different. It was a little bit different because he had a personal relationship with this uh, shepherd. So we have verses 2, 3, and 4 that follow the imagery of the shepherd. And then in verses 5 and 6, the imagery changes now. And God is going to be not presented as a shepherd, but it's going to be presented as a, as a royal uh, host giving a, a huge celebration, a huge party, to celebrate somebody. And we'll get there in a second. So verse 2. In verse 2, we see the idea of rest and security. Rest for the weary, security for the fearful. Verse 2 says, that, He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. I learned as I was studying for this, that... Uh, Sheep are easily frightened. And they are not really animals that like to, to that lay down a lot. You know, sometimes you go through the field and you may see cattle laying down or a horse laying down. 
What I read is that sheep normally don't do that because they're always on the lookout. They're kind of afraid a little. They're grazing and they're afraid, you know, they're kind of nervous type of animal. Uh, so they will not lie down. So here we have a shepherd who's going to make the sheep lie down. And not in the terminology there. He makes me. He leads me. It's almost like it is against my, my, against my will. In all this, you need to rest. <laughs> I got it. I got it. But you know, you don't know what I'm going through. I got it. Just trust me. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leaves me beside the still waters. It's easy sometimes to see here an an imagery of uh, provision, physical provision for food, because you think of the pastures and the waters. But there is an emphasis here in the language on the unrest. He to lay down still waters. Right? Rest for the weary. Security for the fearful. This is what David found in God, in his shepherd. This is a man on the run, fearful for his life, and yet he found rest and security. In Psalm 4, he wrote this. David wrote, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Uh, We both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Well, lie down in peace and sleep. You know, I had a troubled night last night. I went to bed and this morning I woke up at 3.30 in the morning. You know why? I was so nervous about speaking this morning. <laughs> Peace was gone from me. So I'm praying, right? I say, Lord, I need to get back to sleep here, right? Right? Yeah. But we do have situations like that in life, right? That we go to bed and, and we, are, we can't sleep. Uh, things are troubling us. We are restless. David was not a person who had a comfortable life. And yet he said, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. You're watching over me. <laughs> You're watching over me. You're taking care of me. You know, I can do nothing, but you got me. You got my back. You got my back. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. We, think, we sing that song, right? Because he trusts in you. What a great picture. You know, in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Those who are laboring, those who are going crazy, you know, how do I get saved? I need to do this to get saved. I need to do that to get saved. No, 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 no. Come to me, and you will rest. You will find spiritual rest there. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Be anxious for everything. No. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, does what? Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Why? Wow. I'll bring it to God. i leave it with God. And I can go to sleep. You know, if I try to wrestle through and figure things out, you know what I'm going to find out? I'm going to find out that I'm limited. <laughs> and I can do nothing about it. 
I had to come to the one who can do something about it. Say, Lord, my hands are tied. And the Lord said, good thing, let me have it. <laughs> right? When I'm out of rope, the Lord has plenty. I'm limited. He's not. You know, I can get worried. He's not. He gives rest to the weary and security to the, uh, to the fearful. Um, let's go to the next one. Let's go to verse 3 and see what else David is telling us about this God. In verse 3 he says, He restores my soul. He leads, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. We see here restoration for the broken and guidance for the stray. Restoration for the broken and guidance for the stray. To restore means to return to a former condition. A former place or a former position. To bring back to the way that things were. Right? Sometimes we like for things to, to be the way that, that they were before. But we cannot do that. Right? But the Lord gives us peace. He restores us on our walk with Him. Uh, this could be, uh, and have the idea of repentance, restoration, uh, and the idea of repentance. Right? I, uh, I'm a straight sheep. I'm going to straight. And now the Lord is going to restore me. He's going to bring me back into the fall. Um, or restoration in the sense of refreshing, in the sense of giving peace. I lost my peace. You know, I just, man, things got so bad, I just couldn't sleep. I was so nervous. I had ulcers. Uh, I had all kinds of stuff. Uh, but finally I said, you know, Lord, I'm going to give it in your hand. I'm going to put it on, on your hand. So he restores, he brings me back to the right relationship, to the right, to the uh, shalom, to where things are the way that they're supposed to be, right? And both are true in David's psalms, your life, uh, in the sense of uh, repentance. Psalm 51 captures that. Remember, Psalm 51 is when David sinned against uh, Uriah by taking Bathsheba, and then he had Uriah killed. And in Psalm 51, 10, he says, Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your general spirit, or do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So, hey, I have done wrong, right? I have done wrong, but now I come to God, and He's going to, uh, to restore me. In the sense of, of refreshment, renewing, right? That, that is really neat, because what I... Study this, I found three ways that the Lord does that, that the Lord can do that. One is through, your word, through his word, right? David wrote in Psalm 119, 50, says, This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. So if I need to be encouraged, if I need to be strengthened, if I need to be comforted, if I need to be renewed, where do I go? Well, get the Reader's Digest or call the Adi. No. <laughs> One good place to go is the Word of God, right? We begin with the Word of God. So God uses His Word to restore us. God uses other people uh, to restore us. Um, I think that Kurt was talking about Philemon just recently. Was that you, Kurt? Uh, Talking about Philemon, yeah. And, you know, uh, with the example of Philemon, we have that God uses other people to refresh us, to restore us. Uh, Paul wrote to Philemon, and in writing his letter uh, to Philemon, 
Paul say this, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So see, we can be a means of refreshment, of encouragement to one another. Right? We can go and say, you know, how are things going? Man, things are tough. Okay, let's see. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. How can I help you? Right? So God uses his word. God uses his people. And also God could intervene himself. He will do it himself, right? In 1 Peter 5.10, Peter writes, But may God, may the God of all grace, who call us by his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You are broken beyond what anybody can do. You know, trials and tribulations and persecutions really done a work on the believers. And God says, you know what? I'm going to put it all back together. I'm going to put you back together. I'm going to restore you. What a great God. A God that I am limited, and yet He's not. A God who restores the broken and gives guidance to the one who goes astray. And then He says, He leads me in the path of righteousness. The better way to say that is that He leads me in the correct path. You know, we pray, you know, we've been praying about this building. And we, what do we pray about? Well, Lord, please make it evidence. Lord, please guide us. What is the correct path? Right? Because we don't know. I'm limited on my knowledge. We as the elder, as a group, we are limited on our knowledge. So what we do is we are relying on our own wisdom? No, we are all defective. All right? We are all defective here. So what we do, we come to a God who is all-sufficient, all-knowing, and say, Lord, would you give us direction? Would you guide us on our decision-making? Please make it clear for us which way should we go. The correct path. Uh, the, the, here it says the path of righteousness. Actually, it's a better translation would be the correct path. Um, Jeremiah wrote, my people have been, lo- have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away from the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill, for they have forgotten their resting place. See? They are lost. They missed their path. They don't know where they are at. They are wandering. So the false teacher had taken them away. So God is talking, helping us in our decision making. And there are verses that we know about that. I remember. Uh, uh, Bill Waters, I think that one of his favorite verses was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your limited understanding. <laughs> right? That's what it's like. And lean not in your limited understanding. And what will happen? Well, God will let you wander away. No. He will provide an answer. He will make your path straight. He's go- it's going to be evident. The direction that the Lord wants us to go, or the Lord wants me to go, right? If I trust Him, if I lean on His understanding, I don't have to try to figure it out. It doesn't mean that I don't think about it. it. Doesn't mean that I am, but I have to pray about it and think, Lord, this is bigger than what I am. I'm limited. You're not. I'm going to trust you, right? In Jeremiah ten twenty three, Jeremiah said, "Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks." 
to direct his own steps. See, I cannot even direct my own steps. God says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to provide you direction. Trust me. Trust me. Um, Bring to me. And James says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city, spend a year here and a year there, and sell this, make some profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while, for a little time, and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and we shall do that. Why? Because I don't know. I don't know. God does. So even in all my plannings, as I seek directions, as I'm trying to make decisions, I need to bring it to the Lord. So Lord, make it clear for me. Because when it comes to understanding, I walk with a white cane. I'm blind. I need God to give me understanding. So, direction for the uncertain. And then he says, for his name's sake. Why does God do all this? Because he has a reputation. He does it for his own name. His name is holy. The Lord says, various places in scripture, we find out that, that the Lord's name is holy. We find out also that he has exalted his word in accordance with his name. Right? So God does all this for his own glory because he's God. He has a reputation and a nature to uphold. He does this because he's consistent with who he is. And at times, you know, we, we go to prayer and ask for God for guidance. Other times he provides also the answer through the scriptures. Other times he provides the answers through other people that God has given wisdom in a particular area to help us out. So he is sufficient, right? He is, um, he leads us in the right path for his name's sake. As I run out of time, let me keep on moving. Then he went to, to verse 4, and he says in verse 4, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, <clears throat> you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. These are more not a valley, but a gorge. So big, steep mountains that the sun didn't get too well. So it got dark in there. And so he said, you know, when, I, when I, the sheep is moved from one pasture land to another pasture land, sometimes they have to go through some scary path that they may be dangerous, even they may be life-threatening. And David says, even when I go through that, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Right? He said, the Lord is guiding me. The Lord is protecting me. So even in the difficult situations of life, even in the most troubled aspects of my life, where things seem that they cannot get any worse, even in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, David says, because you are with me. There's a sense of uh, uh, comfort for the suffering, uh, for the uh, persecuted. Uh, David finds comfort and assurance knowing that the Lord is capable and willing to take him through his adversity. So how does David know that? Well, he says, your rod and your staff, 
they come for me. You know, the rod and the staff are the tools that the shepherd used to protect, to guide, to correct. Whatever he needed to do to the sheep, he had the rod and staff, right? And so what David is saying, you know, Lord, I'm going through the most difficult times of life. Even when I'm going through the most difficult times of life, you have what it takes to get me through. <laughs> you are the one who has what it takes to get me through. I, I'm not going to go crazy over here. I see that things are falling apart. But I'm going to trust you. Because you are equipped. You are capable. You have no limits. So I'm going to trust you. Your rod and your stuff will come for me. Um, I'm skipping a little bit, but when we get to, uh, to the New Testament, I'm encouraged um, because uh, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, again, on the Great Commission, after the Lord Jesus tells the people, you know, go and make disciples of all the nations, uh, he says, and low, low and high, and, and low, <laughs> I'm with you when? Always. Isn't that interesting? I'm with you always. And now we know that the Lord Jesus told the disciples and, his, uh, and the, the, all the disciples, the apostles and the disciples, said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be a good, be a good cheer. I have overcome the world, right? And he tells us, and lo, I'm, always, I'm, all, I'm with you always. Right? No matter what the situation is, even though I'm in the path, right, of the shadow of death, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are fully equipped to take care of me. You are fully equipped to protect me, to see me through, to preserve me. You know, uh, that's what God sees, what David sees on his Lord. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I've been on the run. I've been hiding. My life has been threatened. Saul tried to kill me several times. And yet, even in the valley of the shadow of death, David felt, David knew that God had his back. The great shepherd, the all-sufficient shepherd, was watching after him and for him. Let's go to verse 5. Now, verse 5 and 6, there is a little change there. The imagery changed. And it changed here to the imagery of exaltation. Okay. Uh, look at here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with all my cup overflows. Right. So now the imagery trains and David is saying, Hi, ah, you know, God celebrates his people. I like the story in the New Testament when it says that there is rejoicing in heaven when a sinner comes to repentance. Right? Isn't that something? Who's rejoicing? It says rejoicing before the angels. The Lord God is rejoicing. God celebrates the salvation of a sinner. God is not wishing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. When God says, he says, yay, yay. Right? God is excited. You know, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. We are creating his own image. Hell was not created for us. We are created for his glory. And God celebrates his people. And David is looking 
Right? He said, I may go through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil. And yet, Lord, you know, I've been surrounded for enemies. I've been on the run for a long time in my life. And said, and you exalt me. And the image here, the imagery here is again of a king setting up a banquet to honor a guest of honor, to say, This is mine, this belongs to me. I got his back. Right? He's saying that about David with that with that imagery. You prepare a table before me. Again, the Lord celebrates for before his enemy. Here they, you know, don't you know don't get carried away about who are the enemies? What are they doing in the presence of the Lord? That's not the point. The point is not the enemies. The point is the exaltation, the celebration, the praise of those who are trusting in him, of his sheep. Right? Um, uh, and then he says, you anointed my head with oil. Right? And that's a sign of refreshing. That's what the uh, 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 um, a host will do when he had a visitor. Uh, over the house. You remember the story in the New Testament in, in Luke chapter 7 is when Jesus goes to have uh, dinner at a taxpayer's house called Simon. And so Jesus goes into and there is a woman that, of a low reputation that she finds out that Jesus is there and what does she do? She goes to meet Jesus. She walks. She crushes the party. <laughs> right? She goes in with, a, with an alabaster jar and starts pulling things on Jesus and and, uh, and Simon says, man, if he knew who she is, he would probably put a stop with that. And the Lord Jesus knew what was in Simon's heart. And, uh, and then he, the Lord addresses Simon. And in part of that address, in verse 46, he says, uh, talking to Simon, says, talking to Simon, he says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Uh, the anointing with all, that's what I'm focusing here, is, uh, is honoring to the guest. This is the guest of honor. And then it says, my cup overflows. That's just a picture of God's full grace on the life of David. You know, I started to think a little bit here. I hope my imagination did not go wild here. But, you know, I'm thinking the cup, you know, they, they didn't get Diet Coke. Uh, they were not being served water. They were serving wine, right? And the wine, you say, yeah, you had a couple of cups of wine and, and you were joyful. You got happy. And so <laughs> what, what David is saying here, God's grace is, is full. Full. Yeah. And full of joy. Unlimited joy, right? My cup overflow. You meet all my needs. You provide complete joy. So, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, I, I like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. When Paul talks about those who are saved by grace, he says about the Lord that he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is that talking about? Talking about the exaltation of the saints. God taking the sinners and saving them and lifting them up. Exalting them. Right? Seeing as a place of honor in heaven with the Lord God. And another section talks about that as the church uh, will be a display of His grace, of His greatness. Right? We are here to manifest the greatness of God, God does. 
So verse 5 talks to us about the exaltation of those who trust him. And then in verse 6, David looks forward to, to a bright future. The best is yet to come. Okay. In verse 6, he says this, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right. So it seems that the first part of the verse may be talking about life here, and then David perhaps sees death as, as something even better. All right? And uh, look what he says, Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. You know, people, David had... David had people who follow him, who were his friends. He had a band of people. At one time, started with like 400 that were all criminals, right? <laughs> they followed David. They were his friends. They were co-warriors with him, right? And the group grew. So these people follow him. Then David had people who follow him who wanted to kill him. Now, Saul was chasing after David for a long time. And David had a, a, a complicated life, right? And yet when he looks back and he meditates, what does he see? Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David, you had it rough. Surely goodness and mercy. You know what he could see when he looked back? What he could see as he anticipated the future? He could see that the Lord was there protecting, watching him. Right? The idea of goodness means uh, it's goodness in the broadest sense. That which is pleasant. That which is beautiful. God is following him. I, I mean, I don't mind God following me. God is going after him, you know, uh, taking care of him. And then mercy is the rich word keseth that nobody can completely translate because it's so rich, right? That is that everything are the way they're supposed to be. And we experience all the loving kindness, all the goodness, all the mercies of this covenant keeping God. And David had a covenant with God. You know, David, after he became king, and I was just reading this past week, after he became king, he said, you know... I'm going to make the Lord a house. I'm going to make myself a house. And I'm going to make the Lord a house. And you know what happened? A prophet came along. Sent Nathan. And, uh, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And said. Also the Lord tells me to tell you David. That he will make you a house. <laughs> so David said. Lord I'm going to make you a house. And the Lord said. No you won't. I'm going to make you a house. Okay, and build his kingdom, right? So he will always have an heir on the throne. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Okay. Uh, and then he goes on to say, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not even death could discourage David. Because as David contemplated, one day I'm going to die. And goodness and, and, and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of my all-sufficient shepherd. The best is yet to come. The Lord Jesus Christ said to the disciple, Let not your heart be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If, I were, if it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and you know the way. The same process, the same promise, right? Goodness and mercy will follow me. When I look back in my life, what do I see? Do I see troubles? Or do I see God's grace? Remember that poem, The Footprints on the Sand? You have seen that, right? That a person goes walking on the beach and looks back and says, Hey, Lord, look. Um, in all the troubles of my life, I mean, when things are good in my life, I see two sets of footprints. But when things are difficult in my life, when things were rough in my life, I only see one set of footprints. And the Lord answers, my child, that's what I was carrying you. <laughs> right? It was not you walking alone, the Lord says, I was carrying you. That's a, you know, a fictitious story. Right? But it makes the point that goodness and mercy will follow us for the rest of our life. And then we'll get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I hope that this psalm is encouraging to you. It's really been fun for me. Uh, studying it. It's been great. But I also know, again, that what I share, I try to encourage you with this, but it was limited. <laughs> it was limited. Our God is unlimited. And I hope that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd and all is well. I shall not want. If you are not able to say that, please do so. Please come and establish a relationship with this almighty, all-sufficient Lord Shepherd.